you, Lord, for that hope. Let's look more into that hope. Turn with me in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Well, as our fellow elder Dave Yeschuk alluded to in his prayer, it's been a rough couple of years for us all. We've had and seen divisions over race, a divisive election year and political upheaval, a global pandemic, historic inflation, and an economic downturn. And now, on top of all that, concerns about the possibility of the outbreak of World War III in a nuclear age. Those are some heavy, discouraging developments, which each of them on their own would be enough to get a person down. But put together, they can make us feel overwhelmed with hopelessness and worry. And that's to say nothing of our own personal trials that we may be facing, perhaps in the areas of our health or the health of a loved one or our employment or our finances or relationships that aren't what they ought to be. It's enough to make us want to say, stop the world. I want to get off. But for the Christian, there's always reason for hope. We've sung of that hope this morning. There's always reason for joy. We've sung of that joy this morning. There's always reason for thanksgiving, and we've sung of that thanksgiving this morning. The Colossian believers to whom Paul writes this letter were facing their own set of very challenging and potentially very discouraging circumstances. The glory days of their fair city of Colossae were behind them. The main route taking travelers through their fair town had changed, and now they were a backwater town. The glory days of their fair city were behind them. The city's economy and status in the area were shrinking. They no longer exerted the power and the centrality that they had before in the area. In addition to this, there were voices in the church teaching things contrary to the truth. False teachers were in the church sowing seeds of error and disunity And Jesus Christ was being presented as insufficient for true spiritual progress. On top of all this, the great apostle Paul was now confined and under house arrest in Rome, unable to visit personally. Christianity worldwide was increasingly under attack. And one of Christianity's greatest leaders was imprisoned. But Paul writes them to remind them of what is really true. 
that despite their present downtrending circumstance, they have great reason for encouragement. Look with me at Colossians chapter 2. It's one of the great reasons for this letter. Their encouragement. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea, a city nearby, and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself. Paul wants them to be encouraged, and he wants them to be encouraged in Christ, by looking to Christ. He is our hope. He is our true source of encouragement. As Paul ends his continuing prayer for the Colossian believers, a prayer that he says he repeats over and over again for them, Colossians 1, 9 through 14, he shares with them that he prayed that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please the Lord in all respects. And one feature of the life that is pleasing to the Lord, as we saw last week, is a life of joy-filled thanksgiving. That this joyful thanksgiving should mark out the believer, and he prays that this would be the case in their life. He shares that desire and that prayer for them in verses 12 through 14, and that's where we're going to focus our attention this morning, because I didn't really get to dived as deeply as I would have liked to last week in sharing this prayer of the apostle. And it's a prayer that you, I would ask that you'd pray for me, even as I pray it for you. So let me read for us Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, just to set the context, and then we'll do a deeper dive on verses 12 through 14, all right? Colossians 1, 9 through 14. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Thank you, Lord. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your great mercy and grace in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you're in control of all things. And while there are plenty of things to look on the horizon and say, how's this all going to turn out? What, What is happening in the world around us? And as we look at our own lives and see troubles and struggles and disappointments, 
can be easy to be overwhelmed and overcome with despair and discouragement. That's why we need to see the way things truly are. That's why we need to be constantly reminded of your promises and what you have done already to secure those promises on our behalf through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, make us a thankful and joyous people, filled with joy for our status and our standing in Christ, filled with thanksgiving for your promises and your purposes that are working out in our lives. Remind us of these truths today and move us to joyful thanksgiving. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here at the end of his prayer that he constantly prays for the Colossian believers and that we ought to pray for one another, Paul shares five descriptions of our new position in Jesus Christ that will help us joyfully give thanks. Paul doesn't just say, you ought to be thankful. He reminds them of the reasons that they ought to be thankful. He reminds them of what's true in their life, that if they really grasp it, thanksgiving will be like falling off a log. Totally natural. Because they realize and have taken stock of who they are in Jesus Christ and what is theirs because of God's mercy and grace. And so we see five descriptions of our new position in Jesus Christ. A position that leads us naturally to joyfully give thanks. All right, what is the first description? First of all, it's that we have been made to qualify. And I I hit on this a little bit last week, but want to go a little bit further with it. We have been made to qualify. The first reason for joy-filled thanksgiving is that the Father has made us qualified. Qualified. Qualified for what? Well, qualified to receive the inheritance of the saints in light. We'll look at that inheritance on our next point. But for now, let's focus our attention on the truth that God has made us to be qualified. The word qualified there means that a certain standard has been met. It means that we are now sufficient. We who were unfit before, on our own, have now been made fit. By God's grace. Now what is the qualification that we have been made to attain to? It is the qualification that all other saints have achieved. All others who have looked to God and his promises to us in Jesus Christ have also been made to qualify. It's the qualification of the saints in light. What is a saint? Well, literally, it is a holy one. It is all those who are counted among God's elect. It is all those who are welcomed into God's glorious presence. So what qualification do all of these saints share then? Well, the qualification must be holiness, righteousness, Perfect 
moral standing before a holy God who sees all. How can this be? Because if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we don't meet that qualification. We don't meet that standard. We don't fit that description of holy. If we're honest, we'll quickly confess that we are anything but holy in practice, in our daily lives. Our lives are riddled with sin. They are shot through with unrighteousness. That's our natural condition. We're selfish, we're prideful, we're lustful, we're greedy. This has been inherited from our spiritual forefather, Adam. Our sin and unrighteousness has left us guilty and condemned, separated from God, deserving of his just judgment. And not only are we sinners, but we're helpless sinners. We are incapable on our own of climbing out of the hole we've dug for ourselves. We are incapable of attaining God's righteous standard on our own. No amount of self-improvement, no amount of self-discipline and self-determination can keep us from sinning and there is nothing we can do to atone for the sins already committed so on our own we have no hope for the present no hope for the future that will not sin again and certainly no hope for the past mountain of sins that we've committed we are helpless and hopeless to meet god's perfect standard but God, right? But God in his mercy has qualified us. He's done the work. He's done all that was necessary so that we would be qualified. We can't qualify ourselves. We've already seen that. But God has done what was necessary to qualify us. He's satisfied the standard he has set. A standard we could not meet on our own. God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Whereas before we were unfit for heaven, unfit to be in his presence, but he has made us fit. He did this through the gift of his son who died as a sacrifice for our sin. And we're going to see a little bit more about that later. But for now, Know that your position in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've believed on the Lord Jesus as your Savior, know that you are now qualified and your qualification to stand in God's presence is not something you attained on your own, but something that God attained on your behalf. He qualified us. And that is reason for joyful thanksgiving. Christian, hear me now. You are qualified to stand before God. Qualified. You measure up. Not because of anything you did, right? But because of God's mercy and grace through His Son, Jesus Christ. The standard has been met. God's righteous 
judgment against sin has been satisfied. And we are qualified. So let's smile about it. You can do it right now if you want. It's okay. Nothing will ever change your qualification before the Lord. He secured it once and for all. Secondly, we share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We've been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. So let's look at this inheritance a little more closely. That which God has qualified us for is to share in this inheritance of the saints in light. We've gained a share, a stake, in the blessing of God. In God's kingdom, anyone who is a heavenly shareholder possesses all rights and privileges of heavenly citizenship. And it's ours right now. 1 Peter 1.4 We have been born again to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I've got great news for you this morning. If you're a Christian, not only have you been made to qualify in God's sight, but you've been made to qualify for a heavenly share of the inheritance. As God gave Abraham and his descendants the promised land as an inheritance for all generations, so he has given those he has qualified an inheritance. But this inheritance is not merely an inheritance of land, earthly geographic boundaries or earthly possessions, but rather the inheritance we've been qualified to receive is a heavenly one. It is an inheritance shared with all the saints in light. Light is a rich biblical metaphor for the life and presence of God himself. God is light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Contrast here is obviously with the darkness, which is mentioned in verse 13 of the domain of darkness, which was our past. God has now qualified us to have a portion in, a share in, a claim in, a stake in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's our glorious future. That's our radiant inheritance. Our inheritance, our secured future, is in the realm of light, where truth and righteousness reign, where rust does not corrupt, where thieves cannot break through and steal. It is ours now, and one day we will receive our inheritance in full. There will be no more pain. No more sickness, no more tears, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death. We will be in the very presence of God where there is fullness of joy and where they're at the right hand of God there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. This is the inheritance of the saints in light. And it is the inheritance of which we all have a share. This is the inheritance that God has qualified us for and for which we share with other saints in light. 
You may not have much now, but you have glory waiting you. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, beloved. And that is reason for joyful thanksgiving. Thirdly, let's look that we have been rescued from the domain of darkness. We've been rescued from the domain of darkness. God's act of qualifying us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light involved him rescuing us from the domain of darkness. For it is in the domain of darkness that we once lived. That is where we lived and move and have our being. It was in that domain. Trapped in the domain of darkness. We were confined to the domain of darkness and there was nothing we could do to get out. The domain of darkness is of course the domain of Satan. The enemy of God. He is the ruler over that darkness that engulfs this fallen world. Listen to how Paul describes Satan and his dominion of darkness in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Let me just read it for you. And even if our gospel it is, veil, is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. That is where we were. And we could not see the light. We were not attracted to the light. We didn't want the light. We hated the light. We were trapped in the domain of darkness. We were blinded by the enemy and we were unable to rescue ourselves. And frankly, we didn't really want to be rescued. But God in his mercy saw us in our miserable condition, had compassion on us and rescued us snatched us out of that domain of darkness. I love what John Stott says about God's rescue of us. He says, Christianity is a rescue religion. It's a rescue religion. It declares that God has taken the initiative in Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sins. This is the main theme of the Bible, he goes on. You're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Christianity is a rescue religion. And Jesus came on a mission to rescue us from the domain of darkness. Christian, today you have been rescued from the domain of darkness. It is no longer your prison. You have been snatched out of it and delivered from its impending destruction. So you have reason to joyfully give thanks to God. A fourth reason we can joyfully give thanks is because we've 
not only been delivered out of darkness, but we have been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. You got to be in one kingdom or the other. You can't be kingdomless. You're either in the domain of darkness or you're in the kingdom of God's beloved son. And for the Christian, not only have we been rescued from the domain of darkness, but we have been transferred into that kingdom, that kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's beloved son. You see, God has not delivered us from the frying pan only to throw us into the fire. No, God's rescue includes not only delivering us from the domain of darkness, but it also includes placing us firmly, securely into the kingdom of Jesus. Safe and secure in Jesus' strong and mighty hands. That's exactly where Jesus says we are when we trust in him. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. We are doubly kept by the power of God, God the Father, God the Son. And we know the Spirit is involved too as He seals us for the day of redemption. He secures us. We have been delivered and transferred from the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And that is an irreversible deliverance. In Jesus' kingdom, we find ourselves blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jesus, our new king, promises to always be with us and to never leave us nor forsake us. Come what may in this world. Jesus, our king, is wise and good, and he's always in control, despite what your present circumstances may be telling you. Jesus, our King, is for us and is always working out the circumstances of our life for good. Jesus is in us and He is greater than He who is in the world. Amen? Jesus has promised to return and take us to be with Him. Beloved, we have reason for joy and reason for thanksgiving. For we have been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Who's your king today? Who's your king today, church? Amen. Fifthly and finally, we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins through our spiritual union with Jesus. The mention of God's beloved son moves Paul to mention the means of God's work of salvation, the means of God's deliverance. 
How is it that we've come to be qualified to receive the inheritance of the saints in light? How is it that we were rescued from the domain of darkness? How is it that we've come to be transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son? The answer comes in verse 14. In just a few words, but they are packed with significance. In whom, having referred to God's beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It is in God's beloved son that we have redemption. Redemption is a term that was used when someone who had been sold into slavery purchased their freedom. Or someone purchased their freedom on their behalf. You were redeemed out of your slavery and given freedom. Redemption is the language that God used in delivering the Hebrews from their slavery while in Egypt. Listen to Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, God says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you, my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you out to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give, you, give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. We have in the exodus of the Hebrews from Egypt and their slavery into and their deliverance into the promised land and their inheritance of that promised land. We have in that story a beautiful illustration, a type even, of our salvation, of our deliverance, of our redemption, out of our own slavery and into the inheritance God has prepared for us. As the people of God were delivered from bondage and redeemed from their slavery, their freedom was purchased and they were brought to the land of their inheritance to possess. Even so, we have been redeemed out of our slavery to sin. God paid the purchase price through the giving of his beloved son, Jesus, to die in our place on the cross as a sacrifice for sin and pay the ransom price for our freedom. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, redeeming us. Romans 3.24, we were justified as a gift by God's grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We've been redeemed. This redemption that is ours presently is further explained as the forgiveness of sins. And if that doesn't bring a smile to your face, you haven't really thought about your sin and the judgment your sin deserves. In Jesus, all of our sins have been forgiven. Our freedom is purchased and our sins forgiven. If you don't know for certain that you've been set free and redeemed, 
and that your sins have all been forgiven, what an amazing offer Jesus makes for you today. Trust in Him and find freedom and forgiveness. He offers you that through His work on the cross and belief and trust in Him as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. Your sins can be forgiven and your slavery to sin can be done away with. This redemption and the forgiveness of all our sin happens in him. And that's the part we might miss in this passage. As you look at, at the end of verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14, it says, we've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son, verse 14, in whom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. In whom? It is in Jesus that we have been redeemed and forgiven. Now, what does it mean to be in Jesus? It means that our forgiveness and our freedom are realized as we become spiritually united in Jesus. Union with Christ. That is your standing. That is your identity today as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ. You are united spiritually with him. Listen to what John Murray says about our union with Christ in the great book that I recommend to you, Redemption Accomplished and Applied. Union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. If you want to look, this is me now, okay? If you want to look at the mechanics, how does it happen? How does it come to be that we who were trapped in darkness and sin and guilt, and shame, and judgment have now been given freedom and forgiveness and eternal life. How does that happen? How does it actually work? What are the mechanics of it? It's union with Christ. And again, Murray says, Union with Christ is the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation, all to which the people of God have been predestined in the eternal election of God, all that has been secured and procured for them in the once-for-all accomplishment of redemption, all of which they became the actual partakers in the application of redemption, and all that by God's grace they will become in the state of consummated bliss is embraced within the compass of union and communion with Christ. All that is ours in God is ours because of our union with Christ. Spiritual union with Christ which guarantees that God treats us the same way He treats His Son. That God looks at us the same way He looks at His Son. That God welcomes us the same way that he welcomes his very own dearly loved son, Jesus Christ. It's all because we have been united with him. Our blessings from God come because we are in him. In whom? In Jesus. This is what Paul will further explain to us in 
Colossians chapter 3, just turn the page there. Colossians 3, 1. And this is union with Christ. In union with Christ, as Christ died on the cross, we die with him. As Christ was raised from the dead, we are raised with him unto eternal life. Colossians 3, 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, in other words, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, you've been raised up with Christ because you're united spiritually with him. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In the midst of a troubled world, keep seeking things above where Christ is seated. Set your mind on things above Through spiritual union with Christ, we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. And we've been raised up with Christ. This is our new identity. We are in Christ. Because we are in Christ, we've been made to qualify. We have received in a share in the inheritance of the saints in life. We've been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we have ample reason to give joyful thanks to the Father. In the midst of life's hardships and struggles, we can say along with the Apostle Paul, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because we are in Christ, never to be severed from him, always to be accepted by him through him, in him. For we have been made to qualify in him. We have an eternal inheritance in him. We've been transferred out of darkness and into Jesus' kingdom of light in him. And it is in him that the price of our freedom has been paid and our sins have all been forgiven, every single one of them. So let us joyfully give thanks to the Father. Give me a loud amen on that one. Thank you. That's it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for revealing to us our true condition, the the reality of the way things truly are. The headlines don't always reflect the way things truly are. In fact, they often don't. We look around us, we look at the difficulties and anguishes of life and we're tempted to say, where is God in all of this? What is going on? Things seem to be barreling out of control. And yet we open the pages of your word and it reminds us of the way things truly are, of our true identity in Christ. And while we can be tempted to become discouraged and anxious and overwhelmed with sorrow, Lord, let us seek the things that are above. To set our mind on things above where Christ is seated, who is our King, 
For we have been transferred into his kingdom from darkness. We have been made to qualify for an eternal inheritance in heaven. We've been redeemed and all our sins have been forgiven. And all of it because we have been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. So there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So that now all the promises of God are yes to us in Jesus. So that now we need not fear the future. For we are in Christ. And nothing and no one can ever reverse that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being the all-sufficient sacrifice for our sin. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.